Hi everyone, welcome to Such a Good Feeling. My guest today has, without doubt, one of the finest female voices I've ever worked with. On top of that, she's an established West End leading lady, a cabaret legend, and also a bona fide superhero. Her incredible honesty in opening up about mental health and personal family situations has helped so many people. And above it all, she continually shines brighter than ever to the complete wonder and joy of every audience member lucky enough to be watching her. So please welcome my incredible friend and the force of nature that is Joanna Woodward. Uh, hello. Thank you for that lovely introduction. <laughs> so look, I'm talking to you on a Tuesday, which is a show day for you in yeah. town and as the lead in the time traveler's wife so what does a show day look like for you like how's your day been and what do your on a just a one show day how is your prep what do you do it's interesting for people that don't really know because you're you're on stage for two and a half hours tonight but what's your process uh well my life is mad because i have two little ones as well a six-year-old and a two-year-old so um a lot of my daytime revolves around them. So my littlest woke me up at 6.20 this morning, which was just delightful. Um, and I, uh, yes, we tried, tried to get her to snuggle and cuddle, but she's not having, not having much of it. But um, so, yeah, so my morning is taken up with, with children and school runs. And then uh, I managed to, to jump into the gym this morning, which I'm very proud of. Um, because this show is hugely strenuous on the body so I'm trying to keep myself fit alongside that I'm trying to focus more on um resistance training and muscle growth and strength rather than knackering myself with cardio because then I spent the entire show running around and stripping and changing clothes um so I did that and then and then yeah and then picking up littlest having lunch and now I've got her down for a nap and I am I'm talking to you um but yeah before the show it's yeah I mean on the train in is kind of my time to zone in and go okay right what am I actually doing today and it most of the time is my only time to just chill for a second because I've just been busy all day and then need to work all night as well is there a point where sort of Joanna stops and Claire starts on that train journey <laughs> I don't really let Claire in until I think I'm on that stage to be honest I'm a bit of a funny one with pre-show rituals and stuff like I don't really try to let them in because I think I think it can become quite debilitating or quite time consuming when you're doing eight shows a week if you have lots of things you need to do you need to do you know before you can do the show you know I I know people sometimes need to recite certain lines or they need to say certain things to people or have certain rituals but I try and keep it as loose as possible so that I can just have that freedom to just walk onto the stage and Claire does walk immediately downstage and address the audience at the top of the show so um I just try and keep myself as relaxed as possible that is probably my my ritual um because anything too strategic uh, sends me into a bit of a nervous spin I think so yeah yeah I would have a little hug with David or whoever saying Henry <laughs> and then we're and then we go and I'm stood upstage of that cloth um, listening to the beautiful band play the the opening and yeah that's when I took a breath well I mean David Hunter is very huggable that has to be said he's very huggable yeah that's good hugs he's a very good huggable human being and <laughs> it, on two show days do what do you do with her in between the shows do you let her go between the shows and then bring her back or 
especially things like accents and stuff do you can you just literally switch on and off i think the thing is with claire and the show in general is it's so fast i mean you've seen it you know like the scenes are very quick we're jumping back and forth between different time periods so you kind of do get used to jumping in and out switching on and off you know because every time i run off stage i am with my amazing little team of usually two dresses a wiggy and a sound person and so i'm usually just talking to them as normal um or having a joke and then running back on and you just get very used to like switching into claire very instantly um and knowing where you are and i think bill really helped us with the direction of that because the tops of the scenes are so important to instantly know where you are that they've become sort of a hole that i jump into very quickly and what about vocally? Because it, it is somewhat of a sing, especially once you get into Act Two. I, my yeah. wonderful friend Lots Terry. Lots of different styles as well. Yeah, my wonderful friend Terry and Ronald and I came to see it, and there's there's one song sort of somewhere near the beginning of Act Two where we just sort of went, "Whoa, that's <laughs> a lot." <laughs> Not yeah. kind of for you, but actually for two shows, it's it, uh, in the same day, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's been a journey. I have to say, I was probably, going into this job, I was probably most worried about vocal stamina. Um, and because we did it in Chester last year, but only for two and a half weeks. And we had our press night on in Chester on the final Thursday. And following that final Thursday, all the adrenaline and everything, my voice just started to disintegrate. <laughs> and the last three shows were a real, real struggle for me. So I was worried that that would be the trend that you know I would go into this West End run and, and I would find it very vocally hard um but I prepped myself really well I went to see um Mark Malin who's the best of the best singing teachers and um he gave me these vocal exercises to do and then a specific vocal warm-up and cool down from my voice and I did those kind of religiously right up to the beginning of rehearsals and then even in rehearsals, I was a little bit stressed because we did so much of the working out of the music last year. Felt like I wasn't really singing it very much in rehearsals. I was like, we're not, we're not singing it in. We're not singing it in. Um, and we probably did about three, four run-throughs before first preview. But miraculously, I've been absolutely fine. I, um, I probably only had one show off the a tired voice in the whole apart from having a cold and tonsillitis we had one show off for a tired voice which to me is like astounding because i was asking for an alternate at first and thinking there's just no way i can do it i also religiously drink about three liters of water a day good don't really drink anymore and yeah all those little things i think i mean sleep is a questionable with two young humans um but yeah all those things i try and stay on top of but yeah, definitely the exercise massively helped me. And and it's just amazing that you your voice gets used to it. That that song you're talking about, it is a huge song. And for the first two weeks of previews, I was I was like, ah, on a two-show day, it was really, really difficult. But then something happens and your voice just um finds it really easy to sing those songs. And now I'm trying to audition for other stuff. And um, my voice is like, what are you doing? This is, this is different. So that's, that's interesting. So just kind of going back to a little bit of the, of the beginning of it, obviously you're a Glastonbury girl. Do you, does that, any of that 
Glastonbury magic? Is that was that part of your kind of growing up? Did you always have that feeling that there was a sort of, you know, the spiritual side of things was kind of very much implanted in you? I think the spirituality did eventually grab a hold of me, but it growing up, I grew up in, for want of a better term, a very normal family. Um, my grandparents ran the paint and decorated shop in the town in the high street and there is a bit of a divide between like the townsfolk and um what the townsfolk would call the hippies or the travelers affectionately but i think then as i reached my teenage years it started to interlink a bit more and it definitely felt like a special place to grow up with an incredible lot of live music happening all the time and my friends were in bands and there'd be gigs to go to at least once a week um and yeah so then it, it did all it did all link up into this kind of cool musical upbringing I mean Michael Evis was part of my journey really he he used to come into my school and listen to us sing he also judged the local talent competition which I won when I was I don't know well <laughs> singing a Whitney Houston song um, which Whitney Houston song uh, I have nothing at 12 yeah. at 12 was it 12? I might have been a bit older than 12 That's still <laughs> yeah <laughs> still <laughs> it's quite the task I was ambitious <laughs> yeah. wow so uh, presumably I mean you've just said it there that was your was that sort of the kind of singers you were listening to when you were younger, the big belters and the divas? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely Whitney Houston. Christina Aguilera was a big one for me. And um, my mum introduced me to Barbara Streisand. Uh, they were probably the main three, to be honest. Um, later, I got into, growing up in Glastonbury, got into all the indie bands as well but I always remember sort of preferring to listen to music with a female vocalist because I just could relate to it um and it was eclectic whether that was indeed you know Britney Spears or Whitney Houston or the complete orchestral recording of Miss Saigon <laughs> it was always a strong female voice at the forefront so was that there was already at that point as much as you were listening to pop music you were also listening to musical theatre think so i think i was I, I think i saw phantom at bristol hippodrome when i was let's say 10 that was my first big experience and then not long after that i saw miss saigon and and i was so i was going to a sort of dancey theatrical school and we would put on musicals every year um and I, my first role for that school was in the sound of music um when I was about 10 yeah and then I got Annie at the age of 12 and that was like that kind of cemented that this is this is what I want to do when I was hiding my Annie script inside my history book at school right um, yeah so that was you had the bug quite early you yeah. knew that that was going to be you wanted to be on that side of the stage well apparently legend has it I turned to my mum at three years old and said I'm going to go to London and be an actress <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how true that is, but I, it was pretty set. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose growing up through my teenage years, I was a bit torn, very torn between do I want to pursue music and a pop career or do I want to pursue musical theatre? 
And through school, I had a teacher who was very, very much allowed us to do pop and rock. So I was at band practices almost every day and I'd be singing things like the Whitney Houston, No Doubt, Christina in the school assemblies rather than the musical theatre songs. Um, and then, of course, when I came to college, um, at an A-level age, I had to make a decision, really. And I ended up doing the BTEC and performing arts because it was more performance-based, but I tried to keep my music up by doing an A-level music on the side. And that was like, that was a bit too much then. Um, but I think by that point, it's sort of, I felt like I could see a clearer path, a clearer career path by going and doing performing arts and then going to drama school. And I think I kind of thought, oh, music will always come along with me. And I continue to write songs of my own, but it has somewhat fallen to the wayside and is something I would like to rediscover in the future, I think. It does seem more plausible to be able to become an actress. Of course, both careers are completely impossible <laughs> in many ways, but that was what I decided would be the better way for me to go. And what was the first, if you're thinking about kind of that growing up thing and you're, you know, you're on the stage and you're trying things out, do you remember the, like the, one of the first times that you really were stood on stage and you were, you were playing not necessarily just like a, a smaller part or something, the time that you actually did something where you were actually the lead in something you thought, this is absolutely for me? Yeah, it was probably, it was probably Annie when I was 12. Well, maybe, no, even when I played Brigitte in The Sound of Music at 10, I remember something went wrong and the next people for the next scene didn't come on. And I stood on stage and improvised an entire scene. <laughs> and I just thought, I'm quite good at this. I think I'm born to do this, to be on this stage. Um, you know, people start telling you that you're quite good at it as well. Um, but yeah, I think I just, I, I was quite a, I was quite a depressed teenager, really. And music was my way out and writing songs was my way out. And when I was stood on stage singing or performing, and still to this day, that is where I'm in pure flow and I'm free from any, you know, anxious thoughts or, or anything. And the writing, was that writing lyrics, writing melodies, playing, composing full songs? Was it the whole thing? It was the whole thing, but not well composed. I played guitar to a very poor standard. So I would, I would, the songs would kind of come to me in a lump. I would, you know, it would be lyrics, melody, chords would come all at once. Um, and yeah, that was really how I was expressing myself at home because you don't always have the opportunity to go out on stage and perform exactly how you're feeling. So that was my route to understanding how I was feeling by expressing it through writing songs. And what kind of bands or artists at that time were sort of singing the, the kind of songs that you were wanting to write, as in especially talking less about the show tunes, but the people that actually really spoke to you about what you were feeling at that time? Um, Alanis Morissette, although I was like... Oh, right, that angry. But yeah, angry, angry, rocky girl music, probably. Yeah, and I loved it because she had this just power in her voice that I just loved. I love that feeling of belting so hard and being so angry and that strength that comes with that. And I think particularly as a woman, 
you know, I never wanted to play all these twee little roles and I always wanted to find strength. And I think, you know, even my mother has said to me over the years, she's like, oh, I prefer it when you sing a bit <laughs> softer or a bit nicer. But for me, it's always been about the emotional connection to the voice as well. And now at the grand old age of 35, I really enjoy all ranges and and how emotion can be so perfectly portrayed in the most quiet of singing and then contrast that with the the huge belt i just love yeah so coming out of stage school i mean how do you navigate because there's that whole thing when you're going to any of those performing arts schools where you're doing the work and you're learning things and you're being put up for various things but it it can sometimes be quite scary when you finish that and you're sort of tossed out into the world and say right what happens next and you're into the world of auditions and that sort of thing how did you how did you find that did you embrace it did you find it frightening I think I embraced it I, I graduated at a pretty tricky time I graduated in 2009 when it was the credit crunch and also we were only the second year at Central to have done the musical theatre pathway so we had barely any agents come to our show um, and I did get an agent but she was based in Bristol and she was not really in with the musical theatre world. So I didn't have that joyous reality of just getting straight into a room with David Grinrod and, and, and auditioning for all the big shows. That didn't happen for me. I got a job quite quickly out of drama school doing sort of um, outdoor theatre in the scoop on South Bank. Um, and I... And that paid nothing. So I was really, I really embraced the challenge. I waitressed all day, all night. I stood on nightclub doors as the clipboard person. I was working at Madame Two Swords as a street entertainer alongside doing all these shows that I could and just slowly but surely um, started to get paid work and then started, uh, I kept writing to people Um and then I found cabaret, which became a better source of income around the audition. Um, and then I kept writing, kept writing, and eventually got the lead role at Kilworth House Theatre um, in Little Shop of Horrors. And from that, I got my now agent. And from then, I was able to just answer the phone and go to the auditions. <laughs> but up to that point, it was, it was, um, yeah, pretty on like the legs going very fast under the water in fact I think one of my first auditions with my new agent was Hurley Burley because that was my first West End job when I met you so I think yeah I mean I think a couple of things there I think it's really good for and I think this is very similar when I've spoken to kind of artists as well and new artists you know it's always quite important to have a proper job whilst you're trying to maintain your job that you do want Mm -hmm. because the job that you do want isn't going to pay any money for quite some time. Yeah. So as you say, all of those extra bits you did, that yeah. keeps you there. Plus you're in London by this point, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's got to be paid for somehow as well. So yeah, it's, sure. you know, you are your own job. Like you, that's that your full-time job. But I think the other thing, which obviously gets onto how we met was, you know, I think at the, at the age you were then, it's quite a, well, from, possibly not for you, or it's probably easy for you, but it's actually quite a brave thing to step into the world of cabaret. Mm. It was very brave for me. I was, not, I was not that way inclined at all, actually. But a kid that was very 
very body conscious and yeah, liked singing songs, but the idea of standing on stage in sort of corset and suspenders was like absolutely abhorrent to me. I couldn't think of anything worse. But I was waitressing full time and I went on this Hindu to a burlesque club and I saw this singer and this singer, bless her, I'm sure she was great. She was just sort of leaning against the side of the stage and sort of quietly singing Fly Me to the Moon. And I thought, look at this place. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is an amazing place. They need a singer who can, you know, take to the stage and, and create an atmosphere. And I tipsily marched up to the hostess and said, you need me in your show. And she said, come back next Saturday then, bring a dress and do like sing a, sing a song in my show. And I, and I did. And, um, and yeah, so I started off singing in her show. I think I was singing like eight songs a night for like 60 pounds or something. And, um, and then yeah, from there, the, the club was like, do you host? And again, it was still waitressing full time apart from this one gig. And I said, I honestly couldn't think of anything worse. Could not think of anything worse than talking to an audience and, and having to be funny. And I said, yeah, of course, of course I host, yeah. And then very quickly was booked four nights a week at Proud Cabaret. And that became this whole other career that I kind of didn't mean to have. But how petrifying was night one of doing that, having never done it before? And by the way, I do love this, you know, it's the old, you know, yes, of course I can ride a horse sort of <laughs> yeah, answer, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. And because, of course, when you're first hosting, you're not put on the great Saturday nights with all the hen parties where you just have to say, are you having a good time? And they all scream. You're not put on that. You're put on the Wednesdays where you've got 52 diners who are on dates and not drunk and you have to actually fill that time with talking and something of use. <laughs> so it was awful. It was terrifying. Um, but it's funny. It, it builds quite quickly and slowly but surely you pick up these little things to say and you, you know things to pick on and, um, and it, it still scares me. I, I finished Time Traveller soon and I've already got a cabaret date in my diary. Um, my ah oh, dear friend Betsy Rose, and um, and I'm already worried about it because I just I'm like, you won't know what to say, you won't know what what's going to come out of your mouth, but it always comes back. It's just less safe than a song that has lyrics. <laughs> did creating an alter ego help? Yeah, it did. It did at first. I, actually, I remember that when I was first hosting, I had the name. I was Coco Dubois. And I had the name, but I was still very much just being myself. And my friend came along and watched and he said, you need to make it a character so that you can lock into that character. And so that's what I did. Um, and that really helped. But now I don't use a pseudonym at all. I just use Joanna Woodward. Um, but she is still, she's still a character some way away from. Yeah, well, absolutely. But I think actually starting like that, and as you say, what an apprenticeship of, yes. of learning. I mean, most of your life, you're, you know, you're reading lines and you're not improvising too much, but actually to, but to have that. And also, also there's a lot, there's a continuing theme that happens when I talk to people on here where, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but like you get to make your mistakes when it doesn't really matter. So like, as you say, you were on the nights where they weren't, it wasn't the Saturday, it wasn't that. So you're kind of learning a little bit kind of on the job. And, and that's fine. Cause when it comes to the point where you're on the big night, then yeah. you're already done and you've done your apprenticeship. 
yeah and I really thank them for letting me do that I think that is becoming less available now because everything's sort of filmed or there's so much mm. more pressure on people that I yeah I always if I go to a cabaret show and I see for example I, I went to crowd a while ago and I saw the girl who was doing the pre-show sing but she was talking a bit in between her songs and I messaged Jess who books proud and I said she's she's the next me you need to like get her on some hosting gigs immediately and she messaged me the other day and said you know thanks to me she's been doing all these gigs and she's really confident and, and it's grown and I just think we have to yeah you have to spot the talent when you see it and like let it let it grow because it is a skill that you learn doing it it is and it's it's an interesting arena i mean if anyone gets an opportunity to go it's a fantastic um place and actually that some of the themed nights that jess has been running over the last two years have been really clever and you know she really puts everything in as a creative it makes yeah. so much of the space but you know it's there's still a point where at 12 30 at night or whatever it is everyone's a bit drunk you're on the stage you are the ring mistress you're in charge yeah yeah and you got to keep them you know excited and happy and yeah. and and just blast out some amazing songs as well so but i mean that again all good experience and yes so as you said that's i mean we we originally met when um, i was working on a show called the hurley burley show with william baker and terry ronald and ashley wallen um and i seem to remember there was an audition i mean was that were you quite confident about that audition because you'd actually been doing it already yeah i, I was nervous because it was an open call from what I remember, actually. So everybody I knew from the industry was sort of there and we were auditioning for all the different bits and bobs. And I wanted to make it clear to you guys that I was a host. So I just remember being like, I'm, I'm a host, I'm a host. Because you wanted everyone to do a dance. And so I was nervous about dance because I hadn't, hadn't really done that side of burlesque before. I did that. And then, yeah, and then I ended up, posting for you guys on the stage but using the other auditionees as sort of the audience mm. and thankfully they got into it yeah it was pretty still pretty nerve-wracking I don't think I audition well generally <laughs> I think I'm a nervous person um but and I I remember I wanted it so badly and um I went to crowd whether it was that night or the following night and Pratt and I was working in Pratt's underground and um and I had a missed call on my phone and then I like frantically kept running upstairs in the break to try and ring um I think it was Emma the producer back going like you know and, and I eventually got through and she was like you've rung me sort of 75 times and I was like yeah I just really want to know <laughs> I really want to know and then yeah you guys offered me the job and that's how we met it is how we met um and it wasn't a bad audition because you know you got the job which is well, good yeah and then you know not long after that that's it you're on the i mean that was your first West, first, end first West End show at the duchess yeah 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 which was at the time i mean we're not blowing our own trumpet here but genuinely at the time it was that was quite a thing there had never been like a yeah. really proper burlesque extravaganza in the west end um yeah it was beautiful. And it was fun. I think that's the thing about it. I think, you know, the one thing whenever we we talk about that show, and there's a lot of love for that show, but everyone was having so much fun. And it was just a riot. It was just really, really funny. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of us still now, even, you know, obviously Ashley Wallen as well was involved in it. And we could just get away with doing things. And, and it was it was just good 
old fashioned, but kind of contemporary kind of humor. And the one thing I know that William from the very beginning said is this entire show is about empowerment. Yeah. And I think, I like to think that that's what we achieved. Yeah, I think so. With some mad mashups in the middle. Crazy mashups. I mean, anybody that makes this cold call to a Destiny child is, is a friend of mine. So. Again, any thought, any memories of your like first night on the West End? I don't know if I honestly bucket listed that as my, I've done the West End because it wasn't a musical. No, no, but you're in a theatre, you're in a West End theatre for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it, and I just remember, yeah, I just couldn't believe my luck. I remember sitting there in rehearsals in the stalls, just going, oh, and yeah. rehearsing. <laughs> and we had Wayne with us, didn't we, who yes. created Wicked, essentially. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe, you know, I was surrounded by you all. Um, but yeah, again, very nervous because I was hosting, but loved it. Just obviously loved it. It's a really magical thing being in a theatre during the day. I heard someone say the other day that they that they should almost kind of do tours of theatres and the backstages during the day because we get used to it, but it is yeah. genuinely quite a magical thing to be in yeah. and only a few of us get to experience it, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, there's a kind of beauty in it. So, yeah, so post that, where's are you are you sort of straight back into auditions or we've got your eye on something or i mean if you do are you a manifester is there a kind of world where you think that's what i want to do and i'm really going to go for it and it's tricky isn't it this world because like yes you could say you want to manifest certain types of jobs and that none of us got into this to make any money but also then you know sometime somewhere along the line you have to start making a bit of money as well so i do think it's an endless juggle of what do I really want and what am I going in for and what's available? Um, and I think that's where I'm at at the moment, especially with two youngsters to feed. You just go, well, I really want to hold out for like some really classy acting job, but equally, you know, I would give anything to walk straight into another Western show. So I, I'm trying to tell myself that I, I, yeah, I think about what I would like and which direction I'd like to head in, but equally so often it is about what opportunities come a knocking and, what you're offered and then even if you get a call for an audition that you're not that fussed about you can get in the room and absolutely adore it i mean following early Burley, which was my first lesson as we said um i you lot went off to south africa and i didn't i decided to stay back and i said to myself i'm not gonna i'm not gonna work for a few months now that's that's the likelihood is i'm gonna be back to waitressing um but in the way this crazy industry works. I think the following Friday I had an audition with Maria Friedman for Merrily We Roll Along. And on the Monday I started. So that was just insane to me. And that felt like my first, it did, we went to the Chocolate Factory first and then it went on to the West End. But that felt like my first proper, proper London musical theatre job. And it was life changing. But that's a good choice. And I think that's a hard one. And, you know, I know a lot of, um, people like yourself and saying no is hard but actually mm -hmm. when it like if you had gone yeah that wouldn't have happened and who knows no. so sometimes saying no is the is the right thing to do but it can be a troublesome I'm decision. a firm believer in, in saying no um I think it gets harder as you get older and more tempting things come along but I've always stood firm that your, your heart has to be in it because 
Otherwise, you're not going to bring that production or that thing, the whole of yourself anyway. So you have to believe in what you're doing. But I do think that means that I had a lot more periods of doing the day job and scraping by because I was so determined to wait for the right thing to come along. Yeah, because when the right thing does come along, if it really is the right thing, it's not nine times out of ten, it's going to be you know, years rather than months that you're going to be signed into it. So it's got to be the right thing. It's got to be the right thing. So I guess off the back of Merrily We Roll Along and obviously the beauty of kind of being at the chocolate factory and doing all that kind of stuff and then then, then kind of carrying on from there. Post that, again, another period of what to say yes to. Was there other things that came into the mix before Beautiful or were you hanging out for the next thing? Um. I think I was just hanging out. But yeah, I think I went back to Cabaret. I did a little show at Charing Cross Theatre. And then I did Things Ain't What They Used To Be at Stratford as well. That was before Beautiful. And then, yeah, and then along came Beautiful, which was two beautiful years of my life. Obviously, you knew the musical before you went and auditioned for it because it had already been in America, right? Yeah, so, well, my dad was a huge Carol King fan growing up, so I remember hearing it a lot around the house. And then, oh, I was so excited. I really, really wanted it. I mean, really, I wanted the role of Carol, um, but got given the sides for, I got the, the, the script for everything. So I was, I was in auditioning for Carol, Cynthia, Betty. It was another role as well. Um, so I just remember my final audition for that. I had all the script, all the music laid out on the floor of my flat and it was just like heaps and heaps of it. Um, but yeah, I got first cover Carol, played Betty and got to play Carol King many, many times. And also just learned so, learned so much on that job. I owe so much of how I try and behave as a leading lady to the amazing Katie Rober. And I'm constantly in her WhatsApp inbox asking for advice because she's just in amazing inspiring woman um and made some incredible friends and yeah as i said stayed there for two whole years which is kind of unheard of in theater tell me about the first night that someone says oh you're on oh wow well it was it we hadn't even made it to press night bless katie had been poorly through all rehearsals but by the time she got into previews her voice was just getting very tired and of course she had all her like press commitments and everything as well um and I'd been prepping a lot because it is huge. That role is huge. And I, but then I just basically got all that I was on during previews and I hadn't had any rehearsals. So I got rushed into work and walked around the set because all of it was automated and moving. So I didn't actually get to rehearse anything, but I, but had to be teched in in terms of where to stand to not die. Um, and then that was it. And then I was on that night. <laughs> and because it was previews, um, all the Americans were still there. Like, the casting director was there. My agent came in. Like, in fact, I think my agent was having dinner with Terry and, and had to like leave or something. I don't know. It was like, it was very theatrical. Um, and yeah, I, I remember at warm up, I was just like meditating, taking deep breaths because I just didn't, because I had to, I just had to control something. Um, and the and Carol doesn't stop for the whole show, and the amazing dresses and stage management were just like I'd run off stage, and they would literally be like this way over there, <laughs> and then pushing me back on stage. Um, 
And when I finished, I collapsed, absolutely collapsed into a heap of tears. I was crying my eyes out. And then everybody came into my dressing room, like all the American producers and everything, and champagne, and then had a car home. And I remember was drinking champagne out the bottle in the back of the car. And then when we got home um, to our flat, me and Luke, I was still just absolutely buzzing. And I ended up putting on um, What a Feeling by Irene Cara. <laughs> and, and there was only about a metre square in our flat that I could, that had like reinforced floors because middle of the night that I could like, and it was just, it was in our kitchen. I was just jumping and dancing to What a Feeling because I could just couldn't, yeah, couldn't believe what had just happened. It was the most incredible feeling. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, I love the fact you're dancing around your flat to flash dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. And that's it. As you say, two years of, you know, sort of mm-hmm. wait, you know, doing a bit of sort of swing stuff, waiting the wing, to, and kind of going on, going off. And, mm. you, you know, long stints of being on. I mean, obviously I saw it when you, you yeah. were in it. And it was such a, gosh, that musical is, it's kind of it just has such a obviously has such a heart but it isn't you know there's nothing about it that's flashy it's just full of emotion all the way through yeah and it's no wonder and it's so good yeah and you get to sing some of the best songs that were ever written and bring those songs to a new generation which i think is really important very important yeah it's the last sort of 20 minutes of the show isn't it where it's like it's too late natural woman you've got a friend Earth mood. It's like the, all the all the bangers, like one by one, at the end of the show. Amazing. And I'm guessing, I mean, all closing nights are emotional, and you're an emotional girl. But I imagine that the closing night on that one was pretty special. Yeah, it was quite emotional. I mean, the show continued on, so we we yeah. left. Um, but your last show would have been. Yeah, it's funny how you don't remember these things, though, isn't it? Because they feel so important at the time. Um. But yeah, there was there was there was definite tears and definite award ceremony drinks, lots of worries about the future, and uh, I've never really been someone who's always had something lined up afterwards. Mm. So, so it, it is always scary to leave a job and to go back to sitting in your bedroom and kind of thing. Do you get the dread of? Oh, yeah. oh my god! I mean, do you have that whole "that's it, I'm never going to work again" imposter syndrome stuff? I think I know I'm going to work again, but I think I get the fear that all the pieces won't come together again, like, or it'll be, it won't be as amazing a part, but like take now, for example, like I love playing Claire so much. Like she just fulfills every part of what I would want to do on stage that I have the fear that I won't ever get to fulfill that again. But I look back and I remember when I played Carol King and I thought, I'm never going to get to play a role of that size again, ever. And then I went on to play Vivian Ward in Pretty Woman, which was of that size. And then I played Claire, which was of that size. So just proves that your mind knows nothing and, and the right thing will come along. And I think it's very easy to put your all into a job so that it feels like the be all and end all and actually a year, two years down the line, you'll see however many other wonderful things you've done or things that have happened. Puts that all into perspective, I think. But it's still very, very hard to say goodbye. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about Vivian 
where do you even start with some with a, <laughs> such a iconic character? I mean, I remember I've spoken to Amy about it in a similar way, and you know, her her process was that she just wouldn't even think about watching the film again. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that I did watch the film, but then I I was Amy's understudy. Um, but with Time Travellers, I haven't watched the film. I've read the book, but I haven't watched the film. It's interesting how you want to just trust the script and your own take on it. I mean, you were cast for a reason, right? But I suppose the thing with, with, with Time Travellers, it was, yes, it was a kind of a Bigfoot, but I think, I suppose, suppose Pretty Woman's so iconic. But you have to find your version of, I mean there's the lines that you have to say, which actually you probably never really get a chance to say because the audience will say them for you. And that's what you, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what there they're there for. There are many for. things in British women like that, like the, the laugh when he snaps her finger in the, uh, yeah. in the jewelry box. Yeah. The laugh. I remember that feeling very like, oh God, <laughs> make sure you get that right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the script is just so iconic. It's yeah. Amazing. And it was an honour to get to say the brilliant line. Yes, and having Mr. Mitchell out front always helps, doesn't that? <laughs> Any situation in life, just Jerry being there. <laughs> yeah, and Pretty Woman was an interesting one because I'm guessing that all sort of took place slash didn't take take place over the whole kind of COVID period. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we I auditioned August 2019. We started January 2020. We had one week. We did previews. We had one. We had our press night. We did one week open. I did my cover run as Vivian, and then we closed for COVID. We never got on as Vivian pre-COVID, um, and then COVID happened for a long time. And I also had my second baby. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to Pretty Woman, pregnant, and therefore couldn't really play Vivian. Although well, might have liked to try, but um, and then so then I left again have my baby and then I went back in March 2022 and played finally played Vivian for quite a long time actually because bless Amy had a tooth thing so I did when I did finally get back I did finally get a good go at it <laughs> well I won't say it's always gonna be tough because I know so incredible in, incredible people that do it but with particularly young children doing an eight show week is that's mm. a I guess you have to work it out very quickly you do i mean i'm a control freak so i try and put everything in place as best i can but they will they will ruin any plans you have you know you're often surviving on no sleep um it, i think the hard, the hardest thing apart from the no sleep which is obviously horrendous especially in the early days but um the hardest thing is actually that you end up parenting all day which is Unpaid, unpaid work basically and then you work all night at the show so it's it's finding and having giving yourself permission to find time to have downtime to rest um which is really super hard because you want to be with your kids when you can um but that's why i'm quite i'm quite passionate about finding time for yourself and making sure you have headspace because i just think you're then able to come into work and be it a mother that is just better for all scenarios you're a better version of yourself if you've given yourself that time because i've had to learn the hard way i think just pulling at myself from all angles just doesn't work what made you to sort of take that quite vulnerable decision to start sharing certain aspects of 
your kind of personal journey and stuff on 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 social media always been a sharer i think it stems right back from when i was writing songs um i've always had a need to express how i feel rather selfishly probably um and for all of instagram's faults i love to write and share and i often write and share and then have a vulnerability hangover and sometimes i'll even delete stuff because it is it is quite a big thing to share such personal things um but i then do often get messages from people who are so grateful that i have shared or grateful for having a more realistic space on instagram um and so i think that bolsters me to think that it's okay i mean you get the fear that People won't employ you if you if you are too honest and too open. But I just think I'm too old for that now. I just think you know, you you take me as a whole or you don't take me at all. And and I think Instagram is so fabricated with perfection, and all of us are going through things that aren't perfect, that are very very difficult. Um, and so if it helps you to express that and write, then then why not but it is it is a tricky it's a tricky art form to write because you never want to you never want to be too woe is me I always want to be quite realistic and understanding that everybody has their own stuff going on and this is just my personal experience in the hope that my small corner of the universe can help someone or can be relatable to someone and it absolutely has and I think you know that I mean I don't know whether you know, if that had been available to you when you were growing mm. up, you know, I mean, you yeah. can find those people, but it was, it's harder. And I think if anything, and I mean, you can take any, so many opportunities, so many things that have happened, um, even going down to something like, you know, Robbie's documentary on Netflix and various things yeah. that have happened more recently that there is now a very, I feel like there is a safe space to talk about yeah. things that have needed to be talked about for a long time. And yeah. actually, for for everybody, whether it's, you know, people in our profession or not, but I think there's a level of it as a creative as well that is, it's it's helpful to know that it's kind of, you're not okay sometimes because everyone sees this incredibly shiny, brilliant star, but actually sometimes it's not like that. And there's those two sides. Most of the times it's not like that. I mean, most of the times it's, it's both things at same time isn't it you know you can be out there receiving a standing ovation and coming home to an incredibly sick child or a sick parent or you know whatever's going on for you um yeah so it's important it's important because if, if you're if you are sat at home struggling with your mental health because you just see all these bright shiny successful people all the time it's just yeah a wake-up call that you're not alone and, and that we all have struggles and that they all they all for the most part you know pass you must have had times where you've turned up at the stage door coming from a really bad day and had to turn it on. Yeah. What's the trick Yeah, it's hard. And it's, it's, it's particularly hard with Claire and the Time Traveler's Wife because it's so emotional and the show covers so many themes of grief and loss and fear and love and all these huge life emotions that, um, you know, I try to speak to people about it and the advice always seems to be embrace it, let it, let the show be cathartic for you, let it be therapy. But I think 
think that works to a point but then when you're doing it eight shows a week and you're bawling your eyes out about losing someone that you love eight shows a week you have to also really look after yourself and remind yourself that um that it finishes when you leave the stage and there are ways to bring yourself back up and there are many things to be grateful for um yeah but but yeah I think it, on the flip side when I was having a really tough time at home and then I'd be going into Pretty Woman which was just like a fantasy magical world where I got to kiss Annie Mac every night um it's you know it is it it's all in the balance isn't it what else I'd say alongside that is I I do have to take time every day to check in with myself and come back to myself whether that's meditation or just like taking a few breaths or exercising and just giving my head space I think you always have to just keep coming back to yourself and your sort of like bare minimum because the theatrical world is so busy and loud and 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 sensory overload at all times that I just you have to yeah it's the switch on and off but then always come back and check in with yourself and journal if you need to get anything out there's always a lot of extra cleanup work to do and it's weird as well because in theatre world and show world and just in general everything at that moment in time is absolutely life or death it's so important that like a cue was missed or you know something didn't happen or a or a harmony was wrong something like that and actually it really i mean in that moment it's kind of important but then actually if you think about going i mean especially going through some of the things you've had to go through in the last few years with real life it's like it's like it's showbiz it's fine i found that contradiction very interesting tricky over the past couple of years so so yeah like one of the, the major things we went through was my daughter had major brain surgery at the age of three and it does make you just go nothing else is important like no, nothing else matters um and i lost my i lost my hope for a while and i think that's quite tricky then to go back into theater and and be concerned about a popper on a on a costume not doing up properly or but you think again you just you need a bit of both in this world and I'm slowly coming back to a place where my hope is coming back and I can be passionate and excited about musical theatre again because I do think there was a period of time where I thought it's not important what I do isn't important and actually it was last was it last summer as in not this summer just gone the one before I was hosting a cabaret show at Zadell at Crazy Cox and um I think I was really having it been a year since Hallie's surgery and I was really having one of those days of like what am I doing with my life like I'm just saying jokes and singing songs and nothing I do matters and um and every night in that show I would pick on an audience member and ask their name and what they did and I picked on a guy and he can't remember his name but he said I'm a brain surgeon and it knocked me for six because having seen how hard those people work I mean first of all I was impressed that he even managed to make it to a show <laughs> I just they seem to work all hours under the sun but then it suddenly came into such clarity for me that what I do really does matter and that brain surgeons need to come to a cabaret and listen to music and laugh and have fun because they need that outlet to support what they then have to go back into work the next day and operate on a three-year-old girl so that's really helped me put it all in perspective. I think. Yeah. And we should say at, currently at the moment, everything's looking good with Hallie, right? Everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's been given sort of 
all clear as much as she can. And so she doesn't really need to be monitored even until 2025. So that feels amazing. That is amazing. And I like the fact that, you know, the thing that you turn to to save you from your teenage depression and everything else, it's always been the show, the theatre, the thing that you can just switch off the world for a bit and inhabit another world and and feel so incredibly comfortable and alive on that stage. Yeah. No matter what. So... Um, yeah, it is mad. It's absolutely magical. Um, before we go, I'll just—I know that you've just come out of this incredible show, and I know we spoke about it at the beginning. But uh, that, just to talk about that show for a minute, where were you when you heard that you got the job? I was in my back garden. <laughs> my husband was home, actually working from home. And I can't exactly remember what happened, but it was a bit of a weird phone call where there was a question mark over something, something in my life. And so it was sort of a, well, we think you've got the role. And so I spent sort of, I don't know, it was like two days where I was like, I don't know. I think, I think I've got this humongous role, but I, I don't really know. Um, and then, of course, it all confirmed. By the time it confirmed, I was like, oh, thank God, because I'd just been running around in circles for two days. Um, but yes, I remember we got a fish and chip dinner and sat outside and, and celebrated that the thing I had wanted my entire life had finally come to fruition. So well, very first, well, firstly, West End, eventually West End leading lady, of course, but also just, just the fit with you and the character. It's sort yeah. of, it reminds me of how, you know, the same kind of thing that Lucy Jones had with Waitress. It was like, I know her. Yeah. And you yeah. know this girl. Yeah, you can yeah. tell. You absolutely know her. So yeah. it just seemed like such an incredible fit. And as I say, it's, it's extraordinary. It was in, in in the West End. It was just yeah, really really beautiful. Uh, and obviously to get to get to work with Dave Stewart, which is an absolute what a legend. What a legend, and record the album with him yeah. as well and Joe. Yeah. yeah, we even like wrote a song together, me and Dave. So I'm just like That's waiting cool. for him to call me now. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, Dave. Where's the album? Dave. Dave. Yeah. Well, I so, know that, that yeah, I, I know there's going to be some, some you know, there, there will definitely be some songs coming out, I'm sure, quite soon. Um, just give me one, like, I've got you, I know you've got a million of these, and I've heard you tell some before. Just pick one story of when something went crazily, funnily wrong on a stage. Okay. But I was just going to go with the first one that came to my head, which was, um, in beautiful and um everybody got sick everybody had norovirus every single person and um i got the call saying you know you're carol today i was like right okay came in i was the only carol um in the building and um all through warm-up i was like i feel a bit sick i feel a bit sick but i was like it's just in my mind it's yeah it's just in my mind it's in my mind it was one of those shows where I didn't know who I was going to be doing the next scene with because every single person was growing up and going off and someone new was coming on and saying lines that they don't normally say. Um, It was madness. And I got to maybe the interval and I, no, not even, I don't think I ever made just the interval. I think halfway throughout one, I was on my hands and knees in the wings, (laughs) throwing up. I was like, it's fine. I can keep going. I can keep going. So we kept going. We kept going. And I, you know, there was two show stops where I had to be sick. And then we got to 
it's too late, which is really when Carol like finally is starting to write and sing on her own. And I was sat at a keyboard front and center and I couldn't open my mouth because I would have been ill everywhere. And I was just sweating down my face. And I was looking at the MD, longing him to just stop the song, but no one was saying stop the song. And It's Too Late is the longest song in the show. So I just sat there to the end of the show, the end of the song, silently, went off stage and was sick again. And then that's when we had to, we had to cancel the show right at the last bit. And I was so annoyed because I nearly made it. But yeah, it was madness. People were like in different wigs, people were holding different props, running on from different areas, saying lines. Dresses were starting to throw up. Like it was, it was, it was carnage, but quite funny in hindsight. I thought at one point you were going to say you just went on and did the whole thing as a one woman show and played all the characters. <laughs> it was nearly. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, don't worry, I've got this. I can actually I mean, do that. That would be very me. <laughs> one, one woman beautiful. I can see it. I can absolutely <laughs> seeing it work. Edinburgh next year. Let's do it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Look, I, I won't ask what's next because you don't know what's next, but you do know that you're going to take your time. Yes. I'm not sure a 16-year-old you would have been wild about social media, but now it's part of mm. everything. Like how there's, there's an 18-year-old version of you out now who wants to be where you are. What, what do they do? What don't yeah. they do? No, they've got to follow their gut. I think they've got to keep creating all the time if you have the time to be bored you have the time to create and even if that never sees the light of day I think it's important to just keep your juices flowing in all different areas whether it's writing songwriting singing recording watching yourself back you know all of that um and like you say to take your time and follow your gut to find the right path for you because it will show up eventually and it has for you and it will again but in the meantime, you can enjoy a little, eventually, you can enjoy a little bit of a rest and write some more songs. A little rest covered with children. Yeah. And maybe record an album. Who knows? Maybe. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing, Joe. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having a chat. Yeah. Thank you, Steve.